Hi, my name is Rhonda Minga, and I would like to welcome you today to Freedom Ministries in Crossed, Arkansas. I invite you to connect with us online at freedomministriescrossed.com. Now let's take the time to pray before we tune in to today's message. Lord, I lift you up, and I just pray that you draw us by your Spirit. I pray that you show us your Word. You give us great and mighty revelations of who you are and how you want to move in and through us. Lord, be with these people as they tune in now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. 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 The uh, title of my word it's real I don't want to say it's simple because it's not but it's one word <laughs> it's God the title of my message is God <laughs> that's everything <laughs> see I've heard two questions here like here in my spirit <clears throat> when John 10 30 it says Jesus said I and my father are one so when we talk about God and we talk about Jesus their their attributes are the same you see God you see Jesus you see Jesus you see God John 14 9 he says he that has seen me, Jesus, has seen the Father. So when we see Jesus, we've seen God. So the question that I had that, that came up in my spirit one day, this is what I heard. What do you know about God? What do I know about God? And when I began to think about that question, I realized I know very little. What do I know about God? What do you know about God? Ask yourself that question right now. Say, what do I really know about God? Because, see, when he asked that question, you is personal. Not what do we know about God. What do I know? What do I know about God? See, a know is not just a casual acquaintance. It's I know him. I know a person. It's like I've spent, it, you just saw evidence of it a while ago. 
I finished my wife's sentence. Been married 41, 40, almost 41 years. I can, we can finish each other's sentences <laughs> because I know her. How do I know her? Because I have spent time in her presence. So when this question says, what do you know about God? It's like, what do you really know about him? I'm going to give you some examples here. See, to know something about God, it goes past our mind. There's a lot of people that can quote scripture. I'm not, I, Jesus loves me. John 3, 16, I may can get that one right. Jesus wept. I can quote that one. But there's a lot of people that can quote Scripture. They know about God, but they don't really know God. There's a lot of people that can quote Scripture that know God. But to know Him involves a relationship. It involves a relationship. Let's go to John 8, 30, verse 31 and 32. This is how we know if we know something about God. John 8, 31, 32 says... Then Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then you are my disciples. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. If you continue in my word, if you stay in a relationship, in a relation with my word, if you have a relation with it, in other words, if you love this word, you spend time in this word. You let this word get in you. It says, then you are my disciples. And you shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. The truth will liberate you. The truth will break the chains off of you. So the truth that we know is the truth that makes us free. So what do you know about God? What area are you free in? My biggest battle was fear. Not fear of being outside in the woods and stuff. It was fear of man. It was fear of man. Fear of what somebody was going to think. Fear of what somebody, well, that was it. Fear I was going to look silly. Fear I was going to embarrass myself. That's the battle. That was my battle. And God called me to teach. Isn't that amazing? The truth you know will set you free. 
when I know that he didn't give me the spirit of fear, I know I can't sing. <laughs> My wife's tried to teach me. I've been in a choir, in a, asked to be in a choir because they needed men. And every time I would open my mouth, the music director would stop the practice. <laughs> it happened, people. And I wasn't singing very loud. I was just kind of singing quietly. But, you know, music people, they have ears to hear in that realm. He would say, make some comment, somebody's off-key or somebody, whatever it is, because I don't even understand music terminology. They'd start practice again, and I wouldn't sing. I'd just stand there. Then I'd begin to sing a little bit. Oh, hold it. Let's stop. Somebody's off-key again. So I know I can't sing. But then one day God told me, he says, you're in my joyful noise choir. <laughs> Hallelujah. During prayer this morning, I was singing with the microphone. It's like, it don't matter. If you don't like to hear me, you better get louder. That's, that's kind of where I've gotten to. That's where fear has, fear has been kind of put down and stepped on. It's like, I'm going to praise God. If I'm too loud and I don't, and you don't like the way I sound, then you might need to praise louder than I do. That's just. <laughs> but see, I know that truth that God didn't give me that spirit of fear. It says he gave me the spirit of love, the spirit of power, the spirit of love, and the spirit of a sound mind. That's what he gave me. So that's what I know about God. That's one thing that I know about God. Isaiah 45, 5. I like this, I like this scripture. I am the Lord and there is none else. There is no God beside me. Hallelujah. How many of you say we know that? He is God. There is no other God beside him. That's the truth. Okay, I'm fixing to hit you with a question. <laughs> what is our first response when we have a problem? <laughs> okay. We got to get real. I know God is God, and he is God alone. All hell breaks loose against me. What do I do? Try to fix it. I try and work on it myself. Woe is me. <laughs> if we really know that God is God alone, then our first response is, Lord, I need help. If we don't really, really have that revelation, our first response is going to be, what can I do to fix it? What do I need to do? They need to straighten up and act right. 
But when I know God is God, so what do I really know about God? What do I really know? Numbers 23, 19. Numbers 23, 19. First part of that verse says, God is not a man that he should lie. In other words, man lies. God's not a man that he should lie. So man lies. Until we are completely, re, re, our mind is completely renewed and restored. We will even lie to ourselves. Hallelujah. If we really believe that God is not a man that he should lie, then every word that proceeds out of his mouth is the truth. Every word that God speaks is the truth. If we actually believe that, he's not a, that he doesn't lie, then when he speaks a word to us, we grab a hold of it and hang on to it because we know it is the truth. We know it. This is, this is kind of a challenging word this morning, but... We need to bring we need to get real with God. So when God speaks a word to us, do we respond to it like we believe it? When God speaks a word to you, do you respond to that word as if it is the truth, as if you really believe it? Let's look at Moses in Exodus 14. You don't have to put it on the screen. 14, 16, because we know the story. God told Moses to divide the sea. Moses was talking to God about it, and God says, you do it. You do it. How did Moses respond? Moses stretched forth his rod over the sea. He responded as if he believed what God said. He responded as if he believed it. What about Joshua? You know, Joshua, God gave him instructions to conquer Jericho. Jericho was a fortified city, probably considered to be unconquerable. It had stone walls that were so wide they had chariot races around the top. And God gave Joshua a strategy. He said, take your, your men, march around this city one time every day for six days. 
and don't say anything. You just march and be quiet. Then on the seventh day, you march around it seven times. And you know, all this time, these are, these are soldiers, and all this time, the people of Jericho are on their wall slandering the Israelites, laughing at them. What do y'all think y'all doing marching around our city? <laughs> you know they laughed at them, and they, they didn't say a word. And God told him, says, on that, after that seventh time, blow the trumpets and have the men shout. That sounds like great instructions for taking a fortified city, don't it? That sounds like something I would come up with. Not. But Joshua believed what God said. Joshua believed the instructions of God. And that's what they did. And the city walls of Jericho were literally pushed into the ground. They have found the Jericho site, and that's what the archaeologists say. It said it looks like the walls were just pushed down. They didn't crumble. They were just shoved into the ground. Nothing but God. Nothing but God. Joshua responded to God's word as if he believed it. How about the, well, still with Joshua, God told Moses, says, I have given you this land when they come up to the river the first time. You know, they left Egypt on what, 11-day journey, showed up on the banks of the promised land. God says, I have given you this land. Moses sent in 12 spies to spy it out. The 12 spies, I don't believe, were sent in to see if they could because they already had a word from God. The 12 spies were sent in just to see what was there and, see, and to help them get a strategy. But 10 of them said, we can't do it. Two said we could, and Joshua was one of them. So Joshua had to wander in the wilderness for 40 more years but he still hung on to that word. He still hung on to that word after 40 years that we can take this land. He responded as if he believed what God said. How about if I call somebody down here if you can't see good and say, come on down, I'm going to go out in the parking lot and I'm going to scrape me up a little dust and I'm going to spit in my hand, and I'm going to put it in your eye. So who wants to be the first volunteer? Oh, it's it's going to be okay. Jesus did what he heard the Father tell him to do. He put mud in a blind man's eye. <laughs> he responded as if he believed God. Hmm. So, what do we know about God? 
another truth. 1 Corinthians 14, 33. I think we need, we need this one. We need all of them, but 14, 33. God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. If you're doing something and it's causing you confusion, uh, you might want to back up and pray. Because it says God is not the author of confusion. Confusion and confrontation or conflict are not the same thing. The enemy attacks. And brings conflict. We're going to have conflict. But we can know what to do. Because God is not the author of confusion. We can know what to do every single time. Because God is not the author of confusion. If we're confused, then we pray and seek God for an answer, and He will speak. He will speak. He will speak. James 1 5. It says that God gives wisdom liberally when we ask. He has never failed to speak to me when I ask him something. Sometimes it's real quick. Like I was talking about that pastor word for Pastor Dana. Sometimes that, that happens so quick, it's like, I wondered if it was God speaking or not. Or if I'm just coming up with this in my mind because it happened that fast. Sometimes God speaks and we don't like what he has to say. Hmm. So we seek him for another word. <laughs> God, I don't like that one. You have something else you can say to me? But God has wisdom. Proverbs 2, 6 and 7. Let's look that up. I'm laying the foundation for something. Well, God's laying the foundation for something. Proverbs chapter 2. About there. It says, for the Lord giveth wisdom. Out of his mouth cometh, cometh knowledge and understanding. He, lay, he layeth up sound wisdom for the righteous. For he is a buckler to them that walk uprightly. Sound wisdom is your protection. That's what a buckler is. A buckler is a shield. The wisdom of God is for our protection. But we have to seek after it sometimes. Sometimes I've had to seek after wisdom. Sometimes it comes quickly, but he will give it to us because his wisdom is a treasure. His wisdom is a treasure, and treasure, a lot of times, is hidden. We have to look for it. 
We have to go after it. We have to pursue it. I'm going to give you all some homework. Is that okay? <laughs> Read Proverbs 8. Proverbs chapter 8. It's known as the wisdom chapter. The whole thing. 1 Corinthians 1, 9 says that God is faithful. God is faithful. Since I have Jesus living in me, guess what? That makes me faithful. I have faithfulness in me. It's in there. Faithfulness to God. Faithfulness to his purpose. Faithfulness to my calling. And faithfulness to where he planted me. There is faith. I have faithfulness in me. I have faithfulness in me. Because I have Jesus. And God is faithful. Hebrews 13, 8 says that Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus was faithful. Jesus is faithful. And Jesus will forever be faithful. He is faithful. He is faithful. That means that we can trust him. That means when we call upon him, he is going to show up. He is going to show up. He is going to give us an answer. He is going to be there for us because he is faithful. He is faithful. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. So what do you know about God? Deuteronomy 32 verse 4. Deuteronomy 32 verse 4 says. I'm almost there. As he is the rock, which is God. A lot of times when you look up rock in the Old Testament, it means God. He is God. His work is, is perfect. For all his ways are judgment. A God of truth and without iniquity. Just and right is he. God's work is perfect truth. His ways, when it says judgment, his means divine law his divine law is right he's a god of truth and without iniquity which means no perverseness there is no perverseness in god you hear people say god must be out to get me that's perverse god is not waiting up there for you to mess up so he can whack you he doesn't play whack-a-mole 
He doesn't do that. We suffer consequences of our choice, of our actions. But God's not waiting up there saying, oh, they stepped over the line. Whop. No. He's not perverse. I heard a man teaching about one day that just come to me about if you wanted to teach your child that the stove was hot, a, a, a normal human being without God even, if you wanted to teach your child that the stove was hot, you wouldn't turn the burner on and catch them by the hand and stick it to that burner and say, this is hot. This, see, this is what this will do to you. God does not teach us that way. It's a perverted person that would do that. God will tell you that it's hot, explain to you that it's hot, explain to you that it will hurt you, and then if we choose to touch it, we suffer the consequences of it. There is no perverseness in God. God is perfect. So what do we know about God? You know, God does not contain love. God is love. If he contained it, that means there's a possibility of an empty spot. But if he is love, that means it is complete. He is complete love. There is no void in it. There is no room for error in it. God does not contain power either. God is power. <laughs> he is power, Miss Sue. God does not contain faithfulness. He is faithful. Period. He is faithful. God does not have wisdom. I have wisdom. God is wisdom. I have wisdom in certain areas. God is wisdom. Complete. Which means he knows everything. Period. <laughs> but the revelation that God wants us to get today is found in Romans 2.11. Let's look at that. I'll read it from up there. It says, For there is no respect of persons with God. I think this is, a, this is the area that we struggle in a big time. To think that God, whether we actually say it out loud or not, but we think, we think it and we act upon it. That God is a respect of persons. What that actually means is he does not show favoritism. Each one of us, we have different callings, but God does not show favoritism. He does not. He told me one day, been years ago, I was talking to him about this mighty man of God, you know, like, 
can't remember what I was saying, but I heard God tell me, he says, he puts his pants on just like you do. The reason he's where he is is because he has pursued God and pressed into God to the degree that God could raise him to the level that he's at. That's why he's where he's at. It don't have anything to do with, oh, I, I like him more than I like you. God does not show favoritism. Because, see, when Jesus died on the cross and the veil was rent, that gave every single person on the planet that has ever lived and ever will access to God. No matter. It, they don't have to graduate Harvard. They can be homeless and have access to God. God is not a respecter of persons. Have you ever thought you're going through something and you see somebody else come out and win a victory over it and you're struggling in it and you ever have the thought, but my situation is different. <laughs> my situation is different. My family's different. That's, a, that's saying that God is a respecter of persons. And God is not. Your background, your family tree, your heritage does not have anything to do with what God's called you to do. He doesn't look at that and determine, say, well, they were born into this family, and I know what they did way back then, and I know what their ancestors did, so no, I can't use them. God doesn't do that. He says, I want you, regardless of where you come from. Regardless, he does not care. My background does not matter to God. He called me to, he called me to teach. It didn't matter if anybody in my family ever served him or taught or whatever. It didn't matter. It didn't matter whether I was qualified. Education does not qualify us for the kingdom work. I mean, it's nice if you want to have an education, but, but it's not what qualifies you. God is not God is not a respecter of persons. I'll give you two scriptures. Malachi 3.10 talks about tithing. And it says in there that God, you tithe, God will open the windows of heaven over you. And pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. That does not say if you're the pastor of the church, if you're an evangelist, if you're called into the ministry, if you're 
is there's no ifs. There's no qualifications. The qualifications is simply tied, and I will open the windows of heaven over you. There's no qualifications for you except to tithe. It's for everyone. Luke 6, 38 is the same thing. Give and it shall be given unto you. The only qualification you have to meet there has nothing to do with your family background. It has nothing to do with your bank account. It has nothing to do with your education. It has nothing to do with anything except that first word, give. You give, as God tells you to, you are qualified for that scripture to come to pass. You are qualified. You are qualified. John 8, 31 and 32, I think we started off with this. It says, the truth we know will set us free. And God is not a respecter of persons. But sometimes we have to press past. God has to let us get to the end of our ability. He's had to let me get to the end of mine. <laughs> get to, my own, to the end of my own ability, my own trying to work something and make it work. Once I get to the end of it, and I'm willing to just say, okay, God, I can't make this happen. That's when he steps in. That's when we get a revelation that, hey, he's, not a he's really not a respecter of persons. I see this happening for this person over here. They're getting a breakthrough, and they're operating in this realm. And I want to, but I can't, and I'm trying really hard. Well, let's go to finances on that because it's good to have an example. And we all deal with this. I see, that, I see finances working in this person's life. I see it happening. I see them give and money comes back to them, but it's not working in my life. And it's like, why is it not? This is true for every area. We just use finances because it's something we can all relate to. So why is it not working for me? I have to go before God and say, God, I know that your word is the truth. I know that you are not a respecter of persons. So why is this not operating in me? And he'll show you. He'll show you. You get to the end of yourself to where you're willing to admit, because we've all tried to work it and make it work, whatever it is. <laughs> but when we get to the end of ourselves and just... Okay, God, I'm done with it. I'm laying it on the altar. It works, it works. You show me why. He'll show you, and then it works. Because we've come to the place to where he can show you, I am not a respecter of persons. If you'll take your hands off of it, I'll show you. I'll, I'll show you. Hmm. And when we get that revelation that he is not a respecter of persons, and it doesn't come 
in every single area instantly. The reason I say that is because some people have the gift of healing. They have a revelation that God is not a respecter of persons in that, in that area in their life, and they've grabbed a hold of it, and God can use them in that area. But every time we get a revelation and we use it, we step into it, then we get victory there, and then God requires a little bit more, and then we get more victory. He requires a little bit more, and we get more victory. That's how you operate in a cycle of victory. That's how you operate in 100% victory 100% of the time. Is we just keep pressing into God. Okay, God. It's like. It's like me praying for people up here. I've prayed for people to be healed before and they were. That's why now. If I feel like God says pray for somebody, then I pray for them. But yet there's a man named David Hogan that's prayed for people, over 200 people to be raised from the dead, and they've been raised from the dead. So I have, I have a ways to go. <laughs> I'm operating in what I know right now. I'm operating in what I know right now. That's what I'm operating in. And if I keep operating in that, then I'll keep, God will challenge me to another level. That's how that works. I keep operating in what he's given me, and he'll challenge me to another level. Because he's not a respecter of persons. He didn't pick David Hogan out and say, uh, this man, I'm going to use him to raise the dead. It's available to whosoever will. Everything in God is available to whosoever will. Whosoever will press into it, because he is not a respecter of persons. Daniel eleven thirty two, the last part of that scripture. We know this one. It says the people that know their God shall be strong and do exploits. People. That's, that's an all-inclusive word. That includes everyone that professes the name of Jesus. It says they shall be strong. If they know God, they shall be strong and do exploits. Exploits are supernatural events. They're things that can't be explained in the natural. That's available to everyone. To everyone. So, the first question God asked me was, get it right? What do you know about God? Then the second question I've heard him ask was, can I use you to pray big prayers? Can I use you? Can you use you, Miss Sue, to pray big prayers? Big big prayers and I saw what he meant by that prayers that are outside of me prayers that are bigger than I am 
prayers that are not always about me, but it's about someone else. Prayers that will literally shake hell. I've been reading in a book that Apostle loaned to me about revivals, different, different accounts of revivals, and a lot of them, I want to say a lot of them started with maybe one man, two or three, maybe ten. And they get together and prayed, and revival breaks out and just sweeps across a nation. Can God use you to, can you see yourself doing that? Because God is not a respecter of persons. If he could use them, he could use you. Are you willing to press into God to that degree? Are you willing to push, push into God like that? I was praying this morning and I heard God say when I was just worshiping him this morning, he says, I called you, I qualified you, and I anointed you. I didn't call myself. God called me. God called you. He called you. And when he called you, he qualified you. And when he qualified you, he anointed you. He anointed you. He anointed you to shake the shake hell. We may think that we're not qualified to shake hell, but God says you are. He is not a respecter of persons. <laughs> Hallelujah. So if you feel like you're, if you deal with that, that I can never attain what somebody else has, I'm not qualified, I'm not good enough, I can't. If those words come out of you, then I want you to come. We're going to pray for you because you are qualified. The enemy gives us excuses all the time. I've told y'all before, I would have I would have gladly I would have gladly failed speech class when I was in school. But you know the reason I didn't fail speech class? And it wasn't God. It was because my daddy had a belt. And he wasn't afraid to use it. And I knew if I come home with a bad grade, I knew what was coming. But here I am willing to fail speech class and God says teach. He is not a respecter of persons, people. <laughs> he is not a respecter of persons. Thank you again for tuning in with us.
If this word ministered to you, please consider sowing a seed to Freedom Ministries at freedomministriescrossit.com. We have made it available to you on the giving page. Thank you again. Go and be blessed in Jesus' name.